Welcome to the Vertical Church Podcast. Now here's Pastor Josh Butcher with today's message. Good morning. It's good to see you this morning. If we haven't had a chance to meet, my name is Pastor Josh. I'm the lead teaching pastor here at Vertical Church. And like Dan said at the very beginning, I want to say again, just to reiterate his words, we're so honored that you're here today. Uh, we're so thankful and excited uh, to, to have church with you. And so um, let's, let's just dive into this. If you will hang with me today, um, I am going to prove to you that Jesus wants you to get a tattoo. Matter of fact, three of them. I'm going to, pr- I've got a verse. All kinds of people have verses. I have a verse. I'm going to show you why Jesus wants every Christian to get three tattoos. But that's not where we're going to start. Where we're actually going to start is my son Lex. Um, I, I oftentimes will tell stories about my kids. I don't know what it what it's like to be a pastor's kid. I imagine there is a certain level. Once you get older and can kind of realize that your dad or mom tells a lot of stories about you to a bunch of people, that there is a little bit of paranoia that may set in. Um, but oftentimes I'll tell stories about my middle child, Cole, uh, because he's a lot like me and maybe I identify with him. I'm not sure. But I want to tell you a story about Lex this morning, kind of kind of get started. Um, just a few weeks ago, I think it's three, maybe four weeks ago, um, we started swim class. Um, he's, he's been in swim class before. This is his third swim class. He started off as a, as a minnow. Then he moved up to like a, a, a grouper or guppy, guppy. That's what it was. And then, uh, the third level now he's a fish, you know, so I, he's got identity crisis. Um, but he had been asking for the opportunity to have swim class for several months. It's been about five or six months since he was, uh, what did I say, a guppy. Um, and so it had been a while, and he had been asking, asking, can I do swim? Okay, so we signed him up, the YMCA, swim class. And the first week of swim class, Hope, who was playing the keyboard, uh, is my wife, Lex's mom, takes him to swim class. It did not go well. <laughs> I don't know what was in his seven-and-a-half-year-old brain or what he was feeling in his heart, but he did not go well. He would not get in the water. Now, my son is not scared of the water. I don't have to, like, beef him up like he's, he's not scared. He's not afraid of the water. He, he does, like, flips in the water and upside down and goes under. He's not afraid of it. I don't know if it was because he had to move different side of the pool. I don't know if it was because his teacher kind of weirded him out a little bit. Uh, but he could not participate in the swim class. He, he emotionally could not get himself to that place. When the opportunity presented itself to participate in swim class, my son could not find whatever he needed to find, be it courage or audacity or strength or boldness or bravery, whatever it was, he could not find it to jump into the pool. He couldn't, he couldn't cross whatever threshold that was that was holding him back from realizing the opportunity that he had been asking for. When it came to that time, he just, there was a barrier blocking him. For him, we might say that he felt, even though the door was open, for him in that moment, the door felt closed. 
Well, I want to talk about this, that this morning because I think that there are some of us in here that we've had similar experiences. Maybe you've been praying for God to do something in your life. Maybe you've been praying for a promotion at work or you've been praying to be put as the, as the lead on a project and the opportunity has presented itself. God has given you what you've been asking for. And yet when you stand at the precipice of the desired future that you're looking into, there's something happening on the inside that just is holding you back from crossing into whatever it is that the opportunity is there for you this morning. We find it difficult to jump in to open opportunities. So let's chat about that this morning. If you have your Bibles, open them up to Revelation chapter 3. We're going to begin with verse 7. If this is, you know, if you're new around here, we've been in a series on the book of Revelation. We've been studying the first three chapters. This is the second to last week. Next week, we're going to wrap up uh, with a sermon on the church at Laodicea. It's going to be awesome. I'm really excited about that, but I'm even more excited because it's here today to talk about the church at Philadelphia. So if you have a Bible, verse 7 of chapter 3, if you don't have a Bible, the scripture will be on the screen. Also, pull out your smartphone or tablet Download the Bible app in there. There's a live link. You search for the word vertical, uh, and you can find the scriptures there, but also a really cool way to take notes. And so if you're electronic, technological oriented, that's for you. I think on the back of your program, it's printed on the screen. We want you to be able to read uh, along with us. So verse 7, chapter 3, here we go. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia write. Now, we've been looking at these ancient churches in the first couple of chapters of Revelation. There's seven of them. They form kind of like a a weird-looking, hooking crescent in modern-day Turkey. Uh, Most people believe that the order here is is some kind of trade route or mail route, however you would go to get from city to city. Now, this Philadelphia is is Philadelphia modern-day Turkey, not Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Okay? I want you to... Some people, you just got to tell them. This is not... This our Philadelphia did not exist at that time as Philadelphia, okay? But, but the name, as you may know, the city of brotherly love, that is what the word Philadelphia means. It's, it's, a, it's a, a Greek word that talks about this, this brotherly love. And the original Philadelphia here in modern-day Turkey was founded in the second century B.C. by two brothers who really did care for each other. Sometimes I wonder that about my two sons. Like, do they have brotherly love? I'm not sure. They fight an awful lot. And they're not going to be naming any cities Philadelphia after their relationship. Lord help us. But, but no cheesesteaks, no eagles, no, no Deshaun Jackson getting cut. None of that in this Philadelphia. This is modern day Turkey, Philadelphia. Ver, the rest of verse 7. These are the words of him who is holy and true. Who holds the key of David? What he opens, no one can shut. And what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. Now, I want to just kind of pause and unpack these words real quickly uh, so that we know who it is that that is talking to us. We've been looking throughout this series. Our focus has been on who is Jesus in this letter? What is Jesus doing? What do we learn about Jesus? Because because the interesting thing about Jesus is that it's all about him. (laughs) The, the book is all about him. The, the whole entire narrative of Revelation is all about Jesus. And what we discover is that Jesus says, I am 
holy. We discover Jesus is holy. That means he is, he is without sin. He is perfect. In each letter, the recipient of the letter is the church, but the subject of the letter is Jesus. Jesus is unique. He's the center of the church. A church is nothing more than a bunch of people gathered together who are captivated by, in love with, committed to, saved by Jesus. So we all exist as as, as vertical church because of Jesus. And he's not just a really good person, and he's not just a great teacher. He's not just somebody who lived a long time ago and said some really interesting things. He is in a category all by himself, which is what the word holy means. He is unique. He is set apart. He's different. It also says he is the true one, which means Jesus never lies. Where anything that Jesus says, his perspective, the way he sees things, the way he calls it. You ever heard people say, I call it like I see it? It doesn't work with Jesus. You call it how you see it, but it doesn't matter. Agree or disagree with him. How Jesus sees it is the truth. You, you may have a different opinion. You may disagree with the way Jesus calls it, but in the end, he is the true one. Whatever he says, that's the truth. And the third one it says is, is Jesus says he's holding the key of David. Now David in, in, in ancient Israel was a famous king. He probably is the most famous king in Israel's history. And to say that Jesus is holding the key of David is to evoke images of, of kingship and, and dominion and, and power and rule. And so what we discover here is Jesus is unique, Jesus is true, and Jesus is the authority. Jesus is king. Our king is, is Jesus. Whatever other leadership exists in our world, be it spiritual or political or cultural, above it all is Jesus. Jesus is the king. And, 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 and Jesus is, is drawing us into having a bigger picture. You know, oftentimes I think, I think that's one of the things we struggle with is we have a little, little view of Jesus. Little, little view of Jesus means that your problems get really big. But if you have a big view of Jesus, that means your problems get really small. So what some of you need to do, instead of whining and complaining about how big your problems are and telling God how big your, your, your difficulties are, we need to turn and face our challenges and tell them how big Jesus is. You know what I'm saying? Like, like that's our issue. Our, our, our Jesus isn't, isn't big enough in our own perspective. And he's saying, look, I am unique. I am true. I'm holding the key of David. What I open, nobody can shut. And what I shut, nobody can open. I am the authority. And this guy says, I know what you're doing. I know your deeds. Now, in this context, deeds is primarily referring to the, the activity of the Philadelphian church in the community, serving the community, and their, their, their missionary activity, their, their um, activity that's spreading the news about Jesus. Jesus says, I know what you're doing. And this isn't new. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 18, John says that let us not love with, with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. And so the idea that Jesus is concerned about what we're doing is not new. He says, I know your deeds. So let me ask you a question as we start this morning. What are you doing? <laughs> what are you doing? How are you serving? How are you giving? What are you praying? Because those of us in the room that would consider ourselves followers of Jesus, we are not saved to sit on the sidelines. 
We're not saved by our works, but we are saved to do good works with Jesus. The, the work of Jesus saves us so that we can work with Jesus. Does that make sense? Like, it's not the work that saves us. It's his work that saves us. But then we're not just, like, saved to, to like, be couch potatoes. We, he, he actually says, I know your deeds. What are you doing? And for some of us, the root of our frustration in life, the root of our despair, the root of our depression even, is because we're not doing anything. We're not serving others. We're quick to criticize a church. We're quick to go to a church and be like, man, that church doesn't meet my needs. The, the greatest need that we have is to serve someone else, to care for someone else, to, to lay our life on the line so that someone else might receive life. And Jesus would say, look, I am unique. I am, I am true. I am the authority, and I know what you're doing. The heart of Jesus is to be a servant. And in our culture that is laced with, with selfishness and consumeristic uh, tendencies, the, the antidote to that culture is the lordship of Jesus Christ, doing good works with Jesus, making it about somebody else. And so this Jesus, again, who is holy, who is true, who is the authority, who knows what we're doing, he says this to the church. At Philadelphia. Verse 8. The rest of verse 8. See. I have placed before you. An open door. That no one can shut. If you're the kind of person. Who highlights and underlines. And marks up your Bible. First you need to like. Deal with that. Because I, I could not look at your Bible. I would get so distracted. Um, anyway. My Bible, like you can look at my Bible, it's like perfectly clean, but I got notebooks to scribble in. Uh, but if that's you, that's cool. Highlight that phrase because we're going to come back to it. I want to talk about the second part of the verse first, but we're going to come back to that part because that is awesome. Look what he says. He says, I know you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and not denied my name. The church in Philadelphia was different than the church that we talked about last week that Pastor Kelly preached to us about, the church at Sardis. The church at Philadelphia was not rich, was not, was not wealthy. The church at Philadelphia was very poor and very small. It did not have a lot of power. Jesus says they have little strength. In fact, they were, they were victimized by not only the pagan community, but also the Jewish community in the city of Philadelphia. We have this myth in our Christian culture that, that the church, if the church could just get more power then we would actually accomplish something for Jesus. But for 2,000 years, that hasn't been true. Anytime the church has had power, we don't know how to use it because we go completely astray and do atrocities because Jesus is powerful. Church is not. Anytime the church has the power, you look throughout history, anytime we have the power, we make a mess of things because Jesus is the one who has the power. He is the powerful one. We are not. And so, and so we, we go into our life, and, and maybe you felt like the Philadelphian church. Maybe, maybe you would take inventory of your life and say, well, yeah, I have little strength. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever, have you ever looked at the world, economics, politics, what's going on morally or sexually or socially, and just felt like it was all going to hell, literally? You ever felt like that? And then, and then looked at yourself and just felt completely powerless to do anything about it. Like, I want to change. Like the song said at the beginning, I want to change the world, but I'm just so frustrated. I don't, 
I have little strength. Listen, friend, that's the way it's always been. Like, like all throughout church history, that's it. And, and people today, man, they freak out. They, they, they glue like end times charts on ammo boxes. And they build bunkers in their basement. Like, do we have enough water to make it through Armageddon? They freak out because we don't have the power. But the catch is we've never had the power. Even when we had the power, we didn't have the power for 2,000 years. But look at what Jesus says to this church who has little strength. Little strength. He says, I have placed before you an open door that nobody can shut. doesn't matter how much power they have. It doesn't matter who comes against you. They didn't open the door, so they can't shut the door. Jesus says to this church who has little strength, little power, I've placed before you an open door. In Scripture, a door was nearly always a metaphor for an opportunity to advance the gospel message, to tell the story about Jesus to people who had never heard about Jesus. So the Philadelphian church, though they are small, and though they have little strength, Jesus says, I'm going to give you, or I've already given you, a great opportunity to spread my news. Jesus has placed before them an open door, and and he's urging them to go through it, to, to walk through it. They have an opportunity to take the good news of Jesus into places that have never heard about Jesus, and Jesus is just saying, come on. Now, history will tell us that the Philadelphian church did just that. For 1,200 years, the church survives in Philadelphia. Regimes raise up in power, regimes fall. Leaders come and leaders go, and the Philadelphian church remains strong. In fact, a lot of scholars believe that the reason that the the gospel message of Jesus is found in India so quickly and so early is because the Philadelphian church sent out church planters and missionaries into all parts of, of the world. Philadelphia was right on the highway. If you were going to make a trip from, from Greece to, to the Middle East or to other parts east, you would go through Philadelphia. It was called the gateway to the east. And so, so Jesus, for 1,200 years, opened door. That's, a, that's amazing. All from this church. Again, how does Jesus characterize them? You have little strength, little power, but a huge door. Now, I don't want to get, I don't want to get weird on you. Um, but, but as I've been reading this and, and praying it, man, I can't help but believe that this word is a word for us. A timely, prophetic message for our church. Because I believe that God would say to us, if we tuned our ears in and we listened, and not just us, but I believe for for churches all over our area, I believe the words of Jesus to us are, I have placed before you an open door. An open opportunity, and nobody can shut. I believe that right now at Vertical Church, we are in a, in, a, in a position where the door is open. Where Jesus has opened a door for us to share the gospel, to, to invite people to experience the grace of God, the forgiveness of God, the love of God that will, that will completely and radically change their, their life and their perception of what life even is. We have an open door in front of us. I can't 
I can't express to you how stankin'. And I use that word intentionally. I'm not stinking excited. I'm stank. Have you ever had like gym clothes that are a couple days old? They go from stink to stank. You know what I'm saying? Like it's, it's an intense intensity word. Stink, little stink, stank, woo, knock you out. I'm stanking excited about Easter coming up. I'm over the top because I don't know what God's going to do because I, the door is open. And I don't know what that's going to look like, but I want to have the courage and the audacity and, and, the, and the boldness to walk through. Here, here, this coming Saturday, maybe you're thinking, I don't know that I can do that. We want to help you walk through. This Saturday, we have an evangelism workshop. Share your story. So many times we think of like witnessing and testifying to people real weird and kooky. We want to show you how it's not weird and it's not odd. And really, it involves a lot of listening and knowing your story and sharing what God's doing in your life. We want to we help you walk. That's one of the ways we can walk through the open door. I am fully convinced... If you, if you move away right now and then move back to Chesapeake in a year and come and visit this church in a year, you won't recognize the place. As a matter of fact, some of you have had that experience already. Some of you, those of you who have been around here longer, like Dan said, he's only been here a little less than a year, actually. Um, it, those of you who were here last year, you might look around and think, there's a lot of people here I don't recognize. God's doing something. God has placed before us an open door But the catch is, here's the catch, because having an open door is one thing, but just because the door is open doesn't mean you automatically walk through it. You see what I'm saying? God can only do so much. Now, I know right now some of you that are theological people, that's flipping your mind out. What are you talking about? God is all-powerful. God is all-knowing. He's all-self-sufficient. I know he is, but he can only do so much. I think a story will help you understand what I'm talking about. Back in November, uh, my wife left me for a week to go see her sister in Alabama who just had a baby. And when she left, she graciously prepared meals for me. Me and my son Lex, when I talked about in the swim class. She prepared food. She labeled it. She organized it. She arranged it. She left written out directions. Here's what you do if you want to eat this. Stick it in the crock pot. Turn it on high. Leave it alone. And yet when she left, and and, and all of these meals, when she left, she had healthy, delicious, convenient meals. When she When she walked out of the house, everything was prepared for me. I had to do nothing but like push a few buttons, and I had instructions on how to do that. But when she left, something shifted in my head, and I reverted to the most destructive, college, garbage-eating junk of my life. I've got homemade lasagna that all I have to do is take it out of the freezer, put it in the oven, push the time, and it's done. I don't have to do anything. And yet I find myself at 2 in the morning downing a family bag size of Doritos while I'm watching Netflix. Any fellas out there know what I'm talking about? Like, we can't cope. It's too... It's too easy. It's like the laziest, most self-destructive version of myself in my history. She's not there. 
Well, she's gone, and she calls, right? How you doing? I'm doing good. Things are going great. Well, how, are you eating the food? I, are you, you find it easy to fix the stuff I left? Well, Lex and I may have just downed like 20 McNuggets. I'm not really sure. McDonald's. Washed it down with a milkshake. Here, and I know what she's thinking. She didn't say this because she's too nice to me to say this. She's thinking this. Look, Josh, I can cook for you. I can, I can cook good stuff and prepare it and label it and show you where everything is and leave you directions, but I can't make you eat it. <laughs> and I wonder if God's not saying some of the same things to us. I can open the door in front of you. I can give you opportunities and opportunities and opportunities. I can take the hinges off the thing and leave it wide open. I can create men and women with the minds and the technology to put 50 translations of the Bible on your phone. I can bring multitudes of people by your way every single day day that just need a word of encouragement or just need a, an invitation or just need to hear how, how I've impacted your life, but I can't make you walk through the door. I've opened the door, but I won't force you to go through it. What is it about us that like my son at swim class, when the opportunity that, is, that, that we've wanted so long is right in front of us, what is it about us that makes it so hard to jump in? Is it because we know that even though the door is open, doesn't mean that the way is easy? Because that's what the Philadelphian church experienced. Look at what, look at what Jesus says in verse 9. I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan. Listen, you might be visiting our church this morning for the first time. I'm going to give you a piece of advice. If you're like, you know, vertical church, God's doing something great, but I don't think it's for me. I'm going to visit somewhere else. If you go to another church and on their church sign, it says synagogue of Satan, might not want to check it out a second time. Just a little bit of pastoral advice, probably not going to be a good experience. Jesus calls this, this group, and it, and it was the local Jewish community, because they were using their civic status to, to persecute this small group of Christians. And Jesus says, I'm going to make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but liars, I'm going to make them come down and come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. We should not imagine. That, that in Philadelphia, you have this Christian church on one corner and this Jewish synagogue on another, and they just duke it out. It's, it's much, much more overwhelming than that. Think in terms of, of a few, maybe a couple of dozen Christians, and then this community of thousands of Jewish followers. You, would, you might feel overwhelmed. If you are the Philadelphian church, you might think about what Jesus says and say, but the imbalance is huge. Jesus, we have a couple of dozen. They have thousands. It's just too much. It's too big. The odds are stacked against us. And maybe that's how you feel right now. Because here's the thing. I don't just believe that the door is open for our church. I believe the door is open for you individually. 
And yet I think that some of us are standing at the door of what we've always longed for and and wanted, what we've been praying for God to do in our lives. And it just feels like to get from here to there is just too much. The imbalance is just too big. I don't have what it takes to go through the door. To do what you've called me to do on the other side of this door, I don't have that ability. I've wanted to do it for so long. I've I've longed to do it, but the odds are stacked against me. I'll never become who God says I can be. I'll, I'll never have what it takes to live on the other side of the door. And the enemy has just been feeding you these lies after lies after lies. And some of you this morning, you walked in beat down. You walked in feeling overwhelmed and outmatched. Like the door is not open for you. Because even though Jesus has opened the door, even though he's placed before you an open door, for you the door feels closed. You think, I want to be a good mom. I want to be a great dad. I want, to, I, want to, I want to be a great businessman. I want to be a godly, uh, Jesus-loving, pointing people to Jesus teacher. And yet to get from here to there, I, I just don't have what it takes. For me, the door's closed. Other people, the door's open, but not for me. I want you right now to download this into your mind. I want you to write this down. If you have a pen, you need to write down what I'm about to say. The word of opportunity is also a word of empowerment. You need to write that down. I'm going to explain it to you, but you need to write it down first. The word of opportunity is also a word of of empowerment. If God has given you an open door, if God has placed before you an open door, he has also given you all that you need to walk through it. If he has opened the door, you don't have to stand there gazing at the open door, afraid of taking your next step into God's future for you. He has given you all that you need to go through it because the word of opportunity is also a word of empowerment. But God, I don't have the ability. It's not about your ability. God, I don't have what it takes. if, If he's given you the open door, he's given you what it takes to go through it. There's this quote by Dale Carnegie. Kind of touches on this. He says this. He says, inaction breeds doubt and fear. When you're standing at the door of opportunity and you don't move, what happens? Doubt and fear just just overwhelms you and overtakes you. He says, action breeds confidence and courage. You just need to take a step through that door and the confidence and courage comes. If you want to conquer fear, do not sit at home and think about it. Go out and get busy. Now, I like that quote. That's a cool quote. We can learn a lot of things from that, but I like this one better because I think this one uh, is a little bit more interesting. Look at this. John says in 1 John chapter 4, verse 18, there is no fear in love. There's no dread. There's no anxiety in love. But full-grown, complete, perfect, mature, full-grown love, look at what it does, turns fear out of doors. You're standing at the door that you've been begging God to open for you, and you feel the fear and the anxiety. What do you need to experience the full-grown, mature love of God? Because what does it do? It turns fear out of doors. 
and it expels every trace of terror. Now, when I read that, I imagine, I close my eyes because I do this sometimes, and I picture fear standing in the doorway of our opportunity. Now, you might want to close your eyes and just picture this. It's like all the doubts and fears and intimidations that that, that just feeds into our mind as we're on the verge of doing something great that God has called us to do. It's like fear. It's like fear is Nelson bullying around Bart Simpson and Milhouse, holding up a big keep out sign in front of God's future, like, like you're never going to go through this door. You're not big enough. You're not strong enough. You're not going to do it. I think fear is the bully that stands between the open door among the open door and refuses to let us in. You'll, you'll never be a good enough mom. You don't have what it takes. You can't cross this door. Look, I know you're going to school and you're trying to make something of yourself, but you're never going to get beyond your family. They're a bunch of losers. You, you, you're too old to do that. You're too young for anyone to listen to you and take you serious. You'll, you, you can't go back to church. They'll never let you in the door. The door's closed for you. You can't, you can't be used by God. Don't you know what you've done? That's what fear says is standing there in the doorway, blocking the way into God's desired future. But according to John's words in 1 John chapter 4, the, the only force that's powerful enough to, to kick fear in the teeth and, and turn it out of the door is the full-grown love of God. It's like, again, close your eyes. Fear, Nelson. You know what the love of God is? Liam Neeson. And, and fear has just messed with, with, with Liam Neeson's kid. And fear's about to get taken out. Like, you don't mess with Liam Neeson. It's like, it's like the, the love of God is standing three feet over top of fear being, you mess with him, you mess with me. And so what, what, is this, what is the connection with love of God? Look at what Jesus says at the end of verse 9. I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge what? I have loved you. What are your fears going to have to acknowledge? What are the doubts and the uncertainties and the insecurities and the lack of self-esteem that you can't be who God wants you to be? What are they going to have to acknowledge? I have loved you. And if I have loved you, there's nothing that's going to stop you. And if I have loved you, fear just better get out of the doorway because it's about to get turned out. I have loved you. Wouldn't you love to hear Jesus say that to you? You can he is. Knowing that Jesus loves you is all the strength that you need to walk through that door. So the, the first week, Hope took Lex to those swim classes. And it didn't go well. Neither Monday or Wednesday, it went terrible. And we were trying to figure it out. We were asking, we were talking, dear God, we talked about it so much. Couldn't figure it out. Could not understand what was going on. Well, I said, okay. We're, we're going to get this thing. I'm going to take him. I took him to swim class on Monday. And we're talking in the van, trying to figure out how can, I, how can I help him? How can I affirm him? How can I give him the confidence to whatever's blocking his, his, his way? How can I? I hadn't figured it out. And so 
we got to YMCA and we parked and we got out of the van and we're walking in and, and before we're on the sidewalk and I, I kind of squatted down so I could look at him right in the eye. And I just had this idea. I said, Lex, here's what I want you to do. I said, I don't know, buddy. What is, what, what's going on in your head and in your heart that when we get beside the pool, you can't overcome it and jump in. I don't, I don't know if you're nervous or if you're anxious or if it's fear or you're scared. I don't know. But here's what I want you to do. And I looked at him right in the eye. I said, when you feel that, whatever it is, I want you to look at me. Okay? Because I know you can do it. I believe in you. I know you can do it. I don't have any question in my mind that you can go in there and be the best student in the class. Okay? I believe in you. But I know right now you're struggling with something. So here's what I want you to do. When you feel that whatever it is coming up on you, look at me. Because my eyes, son, they're never going to leave you through the entire 30 minutes. I'm not going to look at my phone. I'm not going to look at your teacher. I'm not going to look at other students. I'm not going to people watch and make fun of people in the YMCA. I'm going to keep my eyes on you. And if you feel that inside of you, you look at me. And when you look at me, if I think, if I still think you can do it, I'm going to give you a thumbs up. Wherever you're at in the pool, you look at me if you get nervous And if I think you can do it, if I think you got it in you, I'm going to give you a thumbs up. Well, we go into the pool. We're sitting there. And he's, again, he's like breaking out in a cold sweat. I don't know what's going on. And he looks at me and I just go. He scoots a little bit closer to the pool. He puts his feet in. He turns back and looks at me. You got this, man. You got this. He goes into the water. He swims a few feet down the thing, stops, grabs the little divider thing and looks back at me and I go, and it didn't matter if he was flopping around like a wounded fish or if he was doing the freestyle like Michael Phelps. I was going to, you got this. And here's what, it's real cute, right? But here's what some of you need to see. On the other side of that door, God is looking at you and he's going, you got this. I believe in you. My love will give you the strength. I don't know what my son needed, but I know in that moment he needed the affirmation and love of a father saying, you got this. You can do this. You don't have to let fear conquer you. You don't have to be overwhelmed. You're bigger than this. You're better than this. Come on. And right now what I want you to picture with everything in my heart is on the other side of that door that you're so scared to walk through is God standing there with a big thumbs up and a big old goofy grin going, you got this. I believe in you. If I've given you the open door, I've given you all that you need to walk through it. So when you feel nervous and when you feel anxious, and you're uncertain whether or not you have what it takes to do what God has asked you to do. Don't you just picture God, Jesus, blue sash and all, thumbs up, thumbs up. God is giving you a thumbs up. God, am I going to be a good enough mom? God, am I, I had a bad dad. Am I ever going to be a good dad? God, at work, they're telling me I'm not good enough to do the job, but I feel like you've given me this opportunity. Can I do it? You got this. God, classes are getting hard, and I don't know if I have what it takes to make it through this round. You got this. My love is all the strength you need to walk through the door. 
God, I feel like you're calling me into some kind of ministry. You're calling me to, to, to share what you're doing in my life, but I'm so nervous. Am I going to say the wrong words? Am I going to, am I going to mess up? No, no, no. You got this. The door's open. Listen, friend, the door is not closed for you. The door is open. And God's standing on the other side. Should I give this? Should I volunteer? Should I, should I do this? You got this. I turn fear out of doors, God would say. And so Jesus goes on to say, Revelation chapter 3 verse 11, I am coming soon, hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. What do they have? An open door. He's saying embrace your opportunity. Embrace what's in front of you. Don't let it go because you're scared or nervous or you feel overwhelmed. Because just because it's open doesn't mean you're automatically going to walk through. You have to embrace the moment. Embrace your chance. Embrace your opportunity. Philadelphian church embraced it. And for 1,200 years, they were a gospel-centered, Jesus-missionary-sending community. Powerful, spreading the gospel all over the world. I want to ask you to do me a favor. This sounds real cheesy. This is going to be like uber cheesy, I know. Every, this week, and if you want to do it after this week, that's cool. But this week, just do me a favor. Every time you pass through a door, and that's going to be a lot, would you just pray for our church? Just pray, Lord, Jesus, thank you for the open door at Vertical Church. Please keep it open. Help us to go through it to reach others and bring others through it to reach you. Would you do me that favor? Just this week, I know you're like, I go through a lot of doors. I do too. And you don't have to limit it to our church. If you know another church and like, Lord, keep the door open for, for that Baptist church or that Methodist church or that church plant. Open the door for them. Keep it open. Help them to bring people through it to meet you. Jesus would go on to say, the one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. Here we go. I told you I had a verse. Three tattoos. I will write on them the name of my God, the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on them my new name. There you go. Three tattoos. I got a verse. Told you. Last verse to the Philadelphian church. Whoever has ears... Let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Friend, what is the Spirit saying to you this morning? What open door has Jesus placed before you? What is He calling you to take that step into? If in this, this morning, if you would say, I'm not a follower of Jesus. I don't proclaim to be. I, don't, I didn't even know I wanted to be, but I thought I was coming to watch a movie. But, but, but there's something inside of my heart that's just connecting with Jesus and Listen, friend, the door is open for you. The door is open. Give your life to Jesus. Give your, give your sin to you. Pass through the door. He's on the other side. If you're a follower of Jesus, but, but you've been a consumer, you've been a taker, Jesus wants you to walk through the open door. He wants you to become a true worshiper, a giver, a participant in what he's doing. Maybe you, maybe you came in this morning and, and there's sin in your life and you're a follower of Jesus, but, but there's some kind of guilt or shame that's just held you back. And you're like, I can't do what He wants me to do because of this baggage. Listen, friend, the door is open for you.
the door is open. You can repent of that sin and Jesus will take it away and God will, will, will raise up the gifts inside of you to do what He's asking you to do. You've been hesitant to walk through the door because of fear or doubts or insecurities. The door is open. God's perfect love. The God who called you, who opened the door, is the same God who will give you the ability to walk through it. It's not about your ability, friend. It's, it's cliche to say this, but it's not about your ability. It's your availability. You know, Walk through the door. There are those of you in this room, you're, you're leaders, but you're not leading. You're not even serving, some of you. It's time to walk through the door. The door is open for you. Let us know. I'm ready to serve. I'm ready to plug in. I'm ready to walk through that door. Let me pray for you this morning. Jesus, as we gather here together, sensing the Spirit telling us that the door is open, I pray, God, that people all throughout the room would have the audacity to walk through it, the courage, all of it coming, God, because they know that you have loved them. And whatever's blocking the way, Whatever's blocking the doorway, God, let your perfect love right now in this moment turn it out. And let your love draw us further into you as we take our step across the threshold from today's present into your future tomorrow. Those of you in the room, if you are not a follower of Jesus, you can cross through that door this morning. I'll lead you through a simple prayer, but it's not really about the words that you say. It's not a specific amount of words or a set of words. You just make your heart available to Him. Open up the door of your life to Jesus and say, Jesus, I surrender my life to You. Make You Lord of my life. I submit. Forgive me of my sin. Forgive me of the error that I have done wrong way I've been traveling give my life to you believe that you are the Christ the son of God God in human form declare this moment that you are my Lord I am following you will order my life after yours there's been fear would real quickly if there's been fear in your life would you just confess that fear to him lord i've been afraid of and just fill in the blank i've been afraid of walking through the door because i don't feel like i'm worthy enough i've been afraid of walking through the door because i don't think i have what it takes i'm afraid of walking through the door because i think the challenge is too big but lord if you're calling me if you've probably presented the door i trust you that you've given me what it takes to walk through it. Thank you, Jesus, for what you're doing in our life. Thank you, Jesus, for what you're doing in our church. We pray, God, together that you would keep the door open for Vertical Church and for all the churches around us, God, that are faithful in, in, in presenting the good news of Jesus, that redemption and forgiveness of sins is possible because of Jesus Christ and that a new heart and a new spirit can be given to us. Keep the door open for us all, God. 
and let us see the love of God so that we may walk through it. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. We always appreciate hearing how God is moving in your life. We all have a story to tell, and we'd love to hear yours. Please visit verticalchurch.tv and click on the little pencil icon called Amen Corner to tell us your story. Also, if you'd like to support the ministry of Vertical Church financially, you can do so by clicking the giving link at verticalchurch.tv. Thank you again for taking the time to join us as we point those far from God to life in Jesus.